Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Here we are, the point of the spear, each and every day. Follow the scientists. Follow the science. That's what they keep saying. Follow the science. And for hundreds of hours on this program, for the last two months, we've been trying to follow the science. And we need a neck brace. Whiplash. Now, the left doesn't have a problem. They don't really believe in science. They dress up their political agenda and their ideology in science. And they want to embrace the worst possible scenario for the nation and for the American people possible. Uh, And they want to take what is a pandemic and create an even worse panic that exists. And we're seeing this every single day on television. We're hearing it every day on the radio. And we're reading about it every day on the Internet. And I have to say that this is a very serious matter and it deserves a hell of a lot more serious scholarship from the experts, a hell of a lot more serious professional news reporting from the media, and we're not getting that. Well, we get it here and there, but not on the whole. And so when you and I together try and walk through this, whether it's medical or economic, we're trying to do this for the sake and benefit of the nation and ourselves. And what I read a lot every day are these vicious, vile attacks on the President of the United States, including by people, some who claim to be conservatives and nice supporters, not a lot, but some. The President is following the science. The President is following Fauci and Burks. And Fauci and Burks, their views and opinions have moved. And they keep moving. And they say that's because they're following different models and they're following the science. Now, I have presented to you many experts and scholars who've taken issue with those two particular uh, uh, doctors. And I say this again, not to trash them or to provoke anything. That's not the point. This is an open discussion. We'll revisit some of this. I discussed with you Dr. Katz, David Katz from Yale, and his piece on March 20th. So that would be what, Mr. Producer, two weeks ago. I discussed with you a piece by another top expert, uh, statistician in many respects. His name is John Inotis at a site called stat.com. That was March 17th. You and I have been looking at this data and we've been scratching our heads. There are others out there who've written pieces 
that the fatality rate levels that these models have presented, different models, changing models, updating models, and Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks have presented are not correct, that they cannot be correct. I've presented that to you. I've come under withering attack by national pubic radio, by media doesn't matter for America, by mediaite, by not so much mediaite, but uh, some of the others, ProPublica, a.k.a. ProPubica, These are all hardcore left-wing funded sites, NPR included, taking our tax dollars. But we have to plow ahead. We have to make sense of these things the best we can, and some of them don't make any sense. And we'll get back to the economic issues in a moment, too. This piece that I told you about dated March 17th. March 17th. More than two weeks ago. A fiasco in the making. As the the coronavirus pandemic takes hold, we are making decisions without reliable data. The current coronavirus disease, I already read this to you, but let's take a look at it again. COVID-19 has been called a a once-in-a-century pandemic, but it may also be a a once-in-a-century evidence fiasco. And, you know, in many ways, Fauci's already said this. You know, bottles are only good as what you put in and take out of them. Okay, I don't know what that means. At a time when everyone needs better information from disease modelers and governments to people quarantined or just social distancing, we lack reliable evidence on how many people have been infected with SARS-CoV-2 or who continue to become infected. Better information is needed to guide decisions and actions of monumental significance and to monitor their impact. Now, if you're watching TV 24-7 at this point, uh, your brain must be really fried. Doctor after doctor. We need a national quarantine. A national quarantine. In other words, the economy is not dead enough. No perspective is provided. No context whatsoever is provided. Data data that suggests that many of these doctors and experts have been wrong, essentially ignored, or a kind of hit-and-run approach. They're getting doctors from everywhere. They're getting doctors everywhere. I don't know who half of them are, why they're so well-qualified. The reason is, folks, this is 24-7. They've got to fill time, and that's what they do, fill time. The article goes on, as I relayed this to you over two weeks ago. Draconian countermeasures have been adopted in many countries. If the pandemic dissipates, either on its own or because of these measures, short-term extreme social distancing and lockdowns may be bearable. How long, though, should measures like these be continued if the pandemic churns across the globe unabated? How can policymakers tell if they're doing more good than harm? I've got clips here. I don't know if I'll get to them. Nancy Pelosi, really, every single Democrat. Demanding a national shutdown. Demanding that we destroy the economy once and for all. They don't have any better data than you and I have. They don't have any better information than we have. God knows they never held hearings. They were busy trying to knock off the President of the United States with an unconstitutional coup. 
Vaccines or affordable treatments, he writes, take many months or even years to develop and test properly. Given such timelines, the consequences of long-term lockdowns are entirely unknown. The data collected so far on how many people are infected and how the epidemic is evolving are utterly unreliable. And given the limited testing to date, and we haven't significantly expanded testing to date, again, thanks to this president and the administration. Some deaths and probably the vast majority of infections due to the virus are being missed. We don't know if we're failing to capture infections by a factor of three or 300. Three months after the outbreak emerged, most countries, including the U.S., lack the ability to test a large number of people while we are picking up on that. Now, this evidence fiasco creates tremendous uncertainty about the risk of dying from the virus. Reported case fatality rates, and I've talked about this over and over and over again over the course of Two months. Now, reported case fatality rates, like the official 3.4% rate from the World Health Organization, cause horror and are meaningless. Patients who've been tested for the virus are disproportionately those with severe symptoms and bad outcomes. This is what caused me, this article, to openly criticize from this point forward, March 17th, really, I pushed hard on March 20th, that these news organizations need to stop with these charts because they're misleading the American people. The inferences that are being drawn by the hosts and the guests and by the numbers, the way they're presented, they're horribly misleading. How many people have been tested? How many have the virus? How many have died specifically as a result of the virus? We still don't know the latter. Even though the snarky leftists, they write, of course we do. The doctors enter the basis for which their patients die, and they're putting in coronavirus. That's not exactly right. They're putting in the coronavirus. Who knows what those standards are, particularly if they're overwhelmed? The point is, what I would like to know, and by the way, what Secretary Azar today continued to press properly at Secretary HHS is, They want the doctors to provide them with more and more information so they can collect more and more data on exactly this kind of information. That's a good thing. But the numbers are not solid any more than these models are solid. Says the one situation where an entire closed population was tested was the Diamond Princess cruise ship. Remember that one off of California? And it's quarantine passengers. The case fatality rate there was 1%. But this was a largely elderly population in which the death rate from the virus is much higher. And I've told you, based on everything I'm reading, that when this is all said and done, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, you will see the mortality rate to be below 1%. He goes on. Projecting the Diamond Princess mortality rate onto the age structure of the U.S. population, the death rate among people infected with the virus would be 0.125%, about one-tenth of 1%. That is one-twelfth and a half of 1%. But since this estimate is based on extremely thin data, there were just seven deaths among the 700 infected passengers and crew. The real death rate could stretch from five times lower to 0.025% to five times higher. 0.625%, but notice it's still not even 1%. 
says it's also possible some of the passengers who were infected might die later, and the tourists may have different frequencies of chronic diseases and so forth than the general population. So adding these extra sources of uncertainty, reasonable estimates for the case fatality ratio in the general U.S. population vary from 0.05% to 1%. To 1%. And it goes on. And this is statnews.com. This writer is from Stanford. And Mr. Producer, again in our show archives, make sure you you repost this article, okay? And so imagine last night, after I'm on the Hannity program, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later, the economy. Imagine I finished doing the program, and then I do more research, because that's what I do, morning, noon, and night. Ask my wife. Been doing it up to the beginning of the show. And imagine it posts at 9.20 p.m. Eastern Time last night. And about an hour later, I see this piece. Washington Post, experts and Trump's advisors doubt White House's 240,000 coronavirus deaths estimate. Now, I have been defending the president here, and I will continue to do so. As I told you Monday, and as I've told you in prior weeks, the president is making decisions and making statements based on what he's being told by Fauci and Burks and other experts on this task force, among others. He's not making this stuff up. Experts and Trump advisors doubt White House. It's not White Houses. It's Fauci and Burks and the modelers. They're death estimates. I've been questioning this for weeks, for over a month. Not because I'm an expert, but because I'm rational. And I take in the information and I'm trying to make sense out of it. And it doesn't make sense. And you can go back and listen to the archives. If you get really bored over the weekend, I don't know why you would, but feel free. Go back two months. And it is a shocking piece. And I have to wonder if ProPublica and NPR and the others are going to trash the reporters who wrote this piece for daring to question, quote-unquote, the experts, for daring to question, quote-unquote, the science. Ladies and gentlemen, the experts and the science are trying to catch up with the pandemic. And decisions are being made based on what the experts say. Here's a perfect example. Where the hell did I put that? Of course, when you need to. Here it is. Climate Depot, our friend Mark over there. Larry Kudlow is asked, you know, when are we going to... uh, kind of move back to to more economic activity and maybe open up the country a little bit more and so forth. Here in part is what he says according to what's posted. It will get worse. This is a very deep contraction. How much longer? I don't really want to forecast. This is up to the health people. What is up to the health people? 
how long we're going to keep the government shut down, excuse me, the economy shut down, ladies and gentlemen. It's up to the health people. I couldn't believe this. Now, let me be, if not the first one, because I can't listen to everybody on radio. I'm doing my own work. Let me be the first or among the first to say this. We're now reaching a point where the modelers are wrong, the experts are wrong, and the scientists are wrong based on the data. Maybe they're getting better. But we don't live in a quote-unquote expert dictatorship. We, we leave it to the modelers and the scientists and these particular doctors who've been swerving back and forth to make the decisions for the country. The president is elected to make the decisions for the country. And he knows that. And he is fantastic. I wouldn't want another person in this position doing what he's doing. And, but when he makes these decisions, and when he decides, you know, maybe, maybe I should open up parts of this economy, maybe he comes under vicious, crushing attack that he's not following the science. He's not following the experts. He's not following Fauci. He's not following Burks. They're making it extraordinarily difficult for him, policy-wise, politically, and every other way, to actually take in all the information and make decisions. They're telling him, you must not open any aspect of this economy that isn't already open. And then the Democrats put the pressure on. We need a national quarantine. National quarantine. Every state, every town, every village, throughout America, in Alaska, in Hawaii, in Montana, in Wyoming, in Kansas, in Nebraska, everywhere. Every person in this country should be told to stay in their house. While we investigate you, Mr. President, to see if you've handled this properly. More when I return. Mark Lovin. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home on demand and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. When the going gets tough, a tough get. Mark Levin. Call in now at 877-381-3811. You know, the media and the Democrats really are Siamese twins, aren't they? 
Every now and then I'll put a footnote in. There are things I want to, there, 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 the trends I want to talk about and so forth, but I, I have to put footnotes in here and there or I'll forget. So yesterday's press conference on the coronavirus, Jared Kushner spoke. And he correctly stated that the ventilators in the federal inventory, 10,000 of them, are ours, meaning the United States of America, the government of the United States of America. They don't belong to any state, any mayor, whatever. And he was attacked. Martina Nabratarola, among other the vile, vicious, poisonous mouth. And they're like a mob. They're ignorant. They're ignorant, like a street mob. And they all join together and they attack Kushner. What do you mean, R? Doesn't belong to you. Look at this. Nepotism. Look at that. Sick, insane, putrid morons. And what he's saying is the states are responsible for their own ventilators. The states are responsible for their own ICU beds. The states are responsible for their hospitals and what's in their hospitals. The states want it that way. And so when the federal government has 10,000 ventilators, it just can't give them the governor Cuomo who decided to buy solar panels in 2015 rather than ventilators. Now, why is that? Why does the federal government have an inventory of 10,000 ventilators just in case? Well, just in case the military doesn't have enough. Just in case the Border Patrol doesn't have enough. Just in case the FBI doesn't have enough. We have 2 million people in the federal workforce. We have a military where our men and women actually get hurt from time to time, fighting. And, of course, to assist states as necessary. But they're not to take 10,000 ventilators out of the federal inventory and hand them to the governor of New York. A bunch of jackals and jackasses on the left. Jerry Kushner was exactly right. Exactly right. And then I got to watch this guy, John Carl of ABC News, another ignoramus, asking about the the, uh, Jerry Kushner comment. Why the hell doesn't he drag his big fat you-know-what to Albany and ask the governor, the source of the problem, and you folks in New York ought to be furious about this. Solar panels over ventilators. He decided... Some of you will die. Not the President of the United States. The President's got the Army Corps of Engineers working overtime. He's got the Navy with, a, with, our, with our, one of our medical ships there. He's, he's pressuring companies in ways that I don't even like, but he's pressuring companies to build ventilators, to build masks, to build whatever's needed, to deal with the whole country, but particularly the epicenter in New York. If you didn't have such an incompetent, moronic, inarticulate governor and a serious news media in New York, much of this wouldn't be necessary. Some of it would, because you can't plan perfectly for a pandemic. But he didn't plan at all. That's what he meant by our, you low IQ morons on the left, media, Hollywood, Democrats, whatever the hell.
If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. So this gentleman that I've, I've been reading this piece uh, about, this, this uh, very important piece, who is this guy, this Jonathan Ionotis? Professor of Medicine and Professor of Epidemiology and Population Health, as well as Professor by courtesy of Biomedical Data Science at Stanford University School of Medicine. Wow. He's also co-director of the Meta Research Innovation Center at Stanford, Metrics, at Stanford University. He's quite accomplished. Now, I have to be honest with you. I'm going to be absolutely honest with you. As I watch Fauci and I watch Burks. I'm getting a little tired of Dr. Burks. I have to be honest with you. I don't like the way she talks to the American people. I don't like the way she's condescending now to the American people. How she tells the American people, you need to do more. Do more of what? What should we do? Walk around with pillowcases on our heads? I don't know. What are we supposed to do? We need to do more. I don't particularly like what Fauci had to say about the economy. He's no expert on the economy. I didn't like it. He understands that this is inconvenient. No, it's not inconvenient. For many people, it's life and death. For many people, they're going to lose everything. Here, Mr. Producer, cut seven. Here is Dr. Fauci on the Today Show yesterday. Cut seven, go. The Surgeon General was on with us just yesterday and said, my advice is that the 30-day guidelines to stay home from the federal government amount to a national stay-at-home Now, let me stop there a second, too. I don't know who the Surgeon General is. A national stay-at-home order? If you live in a small town in Mississippi, or you live in a small town in Maine or Alaska, And none of this is going on. Why the hell would you stay home? Tell me, Mr. Surgeon General, should all the farmers stay home? Should all the truckers stay home? How about the cops and the firefighters? The doctors, the nurses, the emergency personnel, national stay at home? Should all the restaurants that are barely hanging on, particularly the fast foods that have the drive-thru, should they all stay at home too? How about the grocery stores and the people who work there? Should they stay home? The people who provide us with natural gas and oil and coal so we can heat our homes and run our cars 
and run our trucks? Should they stay home? Who the hell else should stay home? What kind of advice is this? Have you ever seen, I'll say it, this is the greatest overreaction in American history. This is a serious problem. But the Surgeon General and Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks are experts in their area. They're not policymakers. And they have been wrong plenty of times over the last several months. And they'll say, well, the models have been wrong. We're getting more debt. Hey, you're affecting the lives of human beings. You're affecting the lives of more people than those who have the virus. It's shocking. Anyway, go ahead. Is that how you see it, too? Do you agree? Well, yeah. I mean, if you look at what's in those 30-day recommendations of the guidelines, that's essentially what it is. I mean, I know it's difficult, but we're having a lot of suffering, a lot of death. This is inconvenient from an economic and a personal standpoint, but we just have to do it. All right, all right. hold, Hold on, folks. And this is where I get whacked, but I can't help it. This is, we have a lot of illness and a lot of death. So far, we have not had a lot of death. They throw out percentages and models, and then when you go to their percentages and models, you're told not to. The total deaths in the United States, because there's a chart now, you see. 7,077. That's what the chart says. 7,077. Now, over the weekend, all of a sudden, and I told you this, as soon as I showed up on Monday, there would have been 1.5 million to 2.1 million. Now, what did I tell you on, on Monday? That's absurd. I've been tracking these numbers more than anybody else. I've been tracking the science, the data on these numbers, more than anybody else in in broadcasting for two months. That never made any sense. I told you in my personal life what we did here in our home and at our studios and so forth. And to act like doctors, nurses, hospitals, states would just, oh, everybody's dying, that's the way it is. I think if we reach the point of 5,000, 10,000, there'd be some mediation, right? So why throw those numbers out? I asked you that Monday. That never made any sense whatsoever. So there were never going to be, ever, 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 1.5 to 2.1 million deaths. Never, ever. And yet they put it out there. I don't want to do the show that I did Monday evening. And I don't want to do the show I did two weeks ago, three weeks ago, four weeks ago. I've been thoroughly consistent all the way here. And I've been saying, backbenchers, you need to wake up. You need to help out here. And to their credit, they are. And then again, last night, I see this piece in the Washington Post. Shocking. Experts and Trump's advisors doubt whether White House's 240,000 coronavirus deaths estimate They doubt them. And what have I been telling you from day one? The president is following the science, quote-unquote. When I interviewed Dr. Fauci a few weeks ago on Life, Liberty, and Levin on Fox, he said the president's following the science. 
So it ought to say experts, including Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks, that their estimates are in doubt. The White House is a building. It's an animate object. It doesn't have a heart, doesn't have a brain, doesn't have a spleen, doesn't have, it doesn't talk. It's a building. Who in specific? So they want to attack, but then they don't want to question Fauci and Burks because, you know, the right-wingers like Levin have been raising questions about the data and the modeling. Leading disease forecasters who research the White House used to conclude 100 to 240,000 people will die nationwide from the coronavirus were mystified when they saw the administration's projection this week. This actually is Dr. Burke's projection. Even Dr. Fauci deferred to Dr. Burke. I'm starting to see a little strain between those two, Mr. Purdue. Are you also? It's not, it's not apparent to those who aren't carefully watching this. Dr. Burke seems to be much more radical when it comes to demanding that the American people do more. More. Got to do more. Maybe you can pass up on one meal so we don't need as many truckers and farmers working so they can stay home too. Maybe you can do that. The experts said they don't challenge the numbers' validity, but that they do not know how the White House arrived at them. In other words, they don't know how Dr. Burks arrived at them. White House officials have refused to explain, they mean Dr. Burks has refused to explain, how they generated the figure, a debt toll bigger than the United States suffered in the Vietnam War or the 9-11 terrorist attacks. They've not provided the underlying data so others can assess its reliability or provided long-term strategies to lower that death count. Some of President Trump's top advisors have expressed doubts about the estimate. I'm not a top advisor, and I do. According to three White House officials who spoke on the condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to speak publicly. There have been fierce debates inside the White House about its accuracy. At a task force meeting this week, according to two officials with direct knowledge of it, Anthony Fauci, as you know, told others there are too many variables at play in the pandemic to make the models reliable. See what I said? I said there seems to be a bit of a rub there between him and Burks. I've looked at all the models. I've spent a lot of time on the models. They don't tell you anything. You can't really rely upon models, he said. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm following the science. And I've been following these models. I brought to you John Ioannidis from March 17th, a renowned expert who is not on TV. A renowned expert, professor of medicine, professor of epidemiology and population health as well as professor of biomedical data science at Stanford University, a professor of a lot of areas of expertise. And you know what he's been saying? This is all bull S, these models. But Dr. Burks is the model expert. Mark's trashing Dr. Burks. I'm not trashing anybody. My God, it's our country, too. I want to continue when we return. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, 
I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. There's so much to get to. In the third hour, I'm going to make time for this. Right Scoop and others are now reporting, D.C. Examiner, on John Durham and where he's focused right now. I want to tell you about something we haven't had time to talk about. The FBI surveillance, how horrific it was, how illegal it was with new information coming out about that. So we have a lot to get to. I want to get to the economy. I want to get to the uh, activities that are going on. But I, again, on Dr. Burke's. And the, uh, and the rats out there will all come uh, attacking. I just want to remind her, this isn't the Obama administration. This is the Trump administration. And to continue to tell the American people who are sacrificing horribly, losing jobs, losing businesses, losing sleep, schools closed, to continue to tell them we need to do better, is appalling to me. Absolutely appalling. She's the one who needs to do better. As do all the other experts with their modeling. And it turns out Fauci doesn't even believe in the modeling. So the two experts the president is presented with, one doesn't believe in the modeling of the other. This 100,000 to 240,000 number, it's a concoction. Because if Dr. Burks or anybody else who's a modeler or a scientist or a health expert knew exactly where they came up with that number, it would have been leaked by now. We'd know by now. It's been more than 24 hours. Or the 1.5 to 2.1 million number, which was an absurdity from day one. Maybe the death rate would have been 100 million people without mitigation. How would we know, ladies and gentlemen? How would we know? I've modeled it. Could have been 100 million. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker. Somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building. We've once again made contact with our leader, Mark. Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-381. You know, I'm seeing people, and I'm watching Lindsey Graham compare this war on the virus with World War II. 
It's a war, but it's not World War II, and I've had about enough of that, too. Over 4,000 Americans in World War II. Combat casualties. Over 4,000 Americans. Excuse me. Over 400,000. Over 400,000 Americans died in World War II. Over 400,000. We're not going to have over 400,000 deaths as a result of this virus. It's not going to happen. So please stop comparing it to World War II. And why must we compare it to World War II? Why can't we just deal with what we're dealing with? Now, they keep comparing it to World War II, but when I compare it to heart disease, I'm like, no, no, it's very different. 650,000 dead a year from heart disease. 600,000 dead a year from cancer. 170,000 dead a year from accidents of one kind or another. Chronic lower respiratory disease, another 160,000 dead Americans. Stroke, 146,000 Americans. Alzheimer's, 121,000 Americans. Diabetes, 84,000 Americans. Flu, pneumonia related, 56,000 Americans. Nephritis, 51,000 Americans. Suicide, over 47,000 Americans. And what we have found is that when you have deep recessions, that number skyrockets. I don't see any charts in any of these newsrooms on the suicide rate this year. Have you? I haven't seen any charts on the heart disease deaths, cancer. I mean, look at that heart disease. Look at heart disease and cancer. Between the two of them, it's about 1.2 million Americans die a year from heart disease and cancer. That's 3,500 people a day. It's more than that, isn't it, Mr. Producer? Oh, it's way more than that. Why am I telling you this? Mark, you're trying to downplay. I'm not downplaying anything. I'm trying to have some context here. It's better context than calling this World War II and comparing it to World War II. Now, let me get back to this that I was talking about because I want to get into the economic issues and I want to get into a few other things that are going on in this country. Although, trust me when I tell you, I understand why you're, you're focused on this. Although it's exhausting. It's mentally and emotionally exhausting. I want to get back to the professor I've been talking about. Really quite the expert. Ioannidis, professor of medicine, professor of epidemiology and population health, professor of biomedical data science, all at Stanford University. If the health system does not become overwhelmed, he writes, the majority of the extra deaths may not be due to coronavirus, but there are other common diseases and conditions, such as heart attacks, strokes, trauma, bleeding, and the like, that are not adequately treated. What he's saying is, look at all the focus and resources on the virus, the ventilators, the beds, and so forth. And he's deeply concerned, and he's right, that other people who have these deadly maladies are not going to get the attention, the service, the, the, the machines and so forth, and beds that they need. Nobody's asked Dr. Burks about that. Where's John Carl of ABC News or John Acosta of CNN? 
Who really cares? If the level of the epidemic does overwhelm the health system and extreme measures have only modest effectiveness, then flattening the curve may make things worse. Instead of being overwhelmed during a short, acute phase, the health system will remain overwhelmed for a more protracted period. I've asked you this question, rhetorically. If Dr. Birx's theory is correct, or model, or position, and Dr. Fauci is correct, everybody huddle, hide under your desk, and don't move. And do it for as long as we tell you to do it. And while you're there, wear a mask, wear gloves, maybe a raincoat. I'm not mocking it, I'm explaining something. How do we know when this is done, Mr. Producer? How do we know when it's safe to come out and go to McDonald's and sit in the restaurant and get a hamburger? When will they tell us? They keep saying, we're going to get through this. I hear the politicians say, well, how do we know when we're through it? What's the determining factor? And here's the problem. And I've talked about this for weeks now, in part thanks to this gentleman and his brilliant piece. And I raised it with Dr. Mark Siegel, another brilliant man, on the radio program, I believe it was Monday. If a big portion of the nation, a big percentage of the population doesn't go through this and doesn't get this virus, then they're going to be at least a significant percentage susceptible to the virus at some point. Which is why Dr. Fauci the other day said, this may be seasonal. It's not seasonal. They haven't given us a straight answer on this. And I've been asking this repeatedly on the air. I don't think anyone else is asking it. What happens when it's quote-unquote over and we've gotten through this quote-unquote and a significant percentage of the American people, because people are staying in their homes... Because businesses are shuttered, because you're told to stand six feet away from each other, much like Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burke seem to be standing six feet away from each other, just saying I could be dead wrong. What next? Well, the answer is, as a logical matter, many of the people who didn't get the virus because they stayed at home or because other people stayed at home will get the virus. Are you with me, Mr. Producer? So you will not have had this, this group immunity or what do they call herd immunity. Or, that will not have occurred. And I keep bringing this up. I've been bringing this up since March 17th. And so this is the man's point. One of the bottom lines, as he says, is that we don't know how long social distancing measures and lockdowns can be maintained without major consequences to the economy, to society, and mental health. Unpredictable evolutions may ensue, including financial crisis, unrest, civil strife, war, meltdown of the civil fabric. At a minimum, we need unbiased prevalence and incidence data for the evolving infectious load to guide decision-making. In the most pessimistic scenario, which I do not espouse, he says, if the new 
virus infects 60% of the global population and 1% of the infected people die, that will translate into more than 40 million deaths globally, matching the 1918 influenza pandemic. The vast majority of this uh, would be people with limited life expectancies. That's in contrast to 1918 when many young people died. One can only hope that much like in 1918, life will continue. Conversely, with lockdowns of months, if not years, life largely stops. Short-term and long-term consequences are entirely unknown. And billions, not just millions of lives, may be eventually at stake. He says, if we decide to jump off the cliff, we need some data to inform us about the rationale of such an action and the chances of landing somewhere safe. This is a huge gap in Dr. Burke's and Dr. Fauci's thinking, or at least they're not sharing this with us. What is their thinking? This is the second time I've read this article. This has to be the fourth or fifth time I've raised this issue to millions and millions of my fellow Americans. Now, Washington's listening to this show. The reason we don't get an answer is one of two reasons. They don't have an answer, or the answer ain't going to be pretty. Now, this piece in the Washington Compost goes on. We don't have a sense of what's going on in here and now, and we don't know what people will do in the future. We don't know if the virus is seasonal as well. This is Jeffrey Shaman, a Columbia University epidemiologist whose models were cited by the White House. And the estimate appeared to be a rushed affair, said Mark Lipsitz. Got to be careful how you pronounce that, Mr. Producer. A leading epidemiologist and director of Harvard University Center for Communicable Disease Dynamics. They contacted us, I think, on Tuesday a week ago and asked for answers and feedback by Thursday, basically 24 hours. My initial response was, we can't do it that fast, but we ended up providing them some numbers responding to very specific scenarios. Other experts noted the White House, not the White House, the doctors, didn't even explain the time period the death estimates supposedly can. Anyway, it goes on. So the figure 100 to 200 and some thousand is a bogus figure. They figure 1.5 million to 2.1 million dead if we didn't mitigate is not only a bogus figure, it's an illogical figure. This is what the president is being told. And then they they talk about how the president is confusing. There's another piece the same day. Came out two hours later by Philip Rucker and Robert Acosta. Two nimrods. Commander of confusion. Trump sows uncertainty and seeks to cast blame in coronavirus, uh, coronavirus crisis. That's the headline of the Washington Compost. Where if you don't get it, You don't get it, and you're in good shape. And so they talk about how he's declared this, how he's declared that. The reason why Rucker and Costa aren't serious professional journalists is if they were, the real timeline and what they'd really show is the advice the president has gotten, which then he in turn shares with the American people and bases his decisions on. But that's not what the Washington Compost and Costa and Rucker are all about. And this is a long article. This goes on, my, my, I printed it out, this goes on for uh, four pages. 
So important is this topic. And so what they're doing now, it's very nefarious and diabolical. They're trying to drive down the president's poll ratings. They're trying to drive down the president's poll ratings. Now let me tell you something. I want to strongly suggest to my friends at the White House, if they're listening, that you need to consult with and bring in some additional experts, including John P. A. Ioannidis, the professor of so many things at Stanford University School of Medicine. And you need to bring in Professor David Katz, who wrote a piece in the New York Times that we discussed. He wrote it on March 20th. Almost, what is that now? About two weeks ago as well. Is our fight against coronavirus worse than the disease? I want to remind you about this when we return. Then I need to move on to economic issues and then civil liberties issues. I'll be right back. Mark In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. I don't want to cover all this territory completely again, but I do want to hit it generally because there's a lot to remember and a lot to think about. And I know many of you are very, very upset, and you should be. And I'm getting contacted by a lot of my friends and acquaintances who are small business people, and they are going broke. They're going broke. And it's important to try and sort this out. And I have a duty to you as a public service, to go through this stuff and to raise some questions. March 20, New York Times, shockingly, David Katz, president of the True Health Initiative and founding director of the Yale Griffin Prevention Research Center at Yale. We routinely differentiate between two kinds of military action. You remember this guy. This is the third time I'm pointing this out. The inevitable carnage, collateral damage of diffuse hostilities, the precision of surgical strike methodically targeted to the sources of our particular peril. The latter, when executed well, minimizes resources and unintended consequences alike. And as we battle the coronavirus pandemic and heads of state declare that we are at war with this contagion, the same dichotomy applies. This could be open war with all the fallout that portends, or it could be something more surgical. And he says the United States and much of the world, it's a war. And no, Lindsey Graham, it's not World War II. And stop everybody referring to it as World War II. A war? Okay. Outbreaks tend to be isolated when pathogens move through water or food and have greater scope when they travel by widespread vectors like fleas, mosquitoes, or the air itself. 
Like the coronavirus pandemic, the infamous flu pandemic of 1980 was caused by viral particles transmitted by coughing and sneezing. And pandemics occur when an entire population is vulnerable, that is not immune, to give a pathogen capable of efficiently spreading itself. Immunity occurs when our immune system has developed antibodies against a germ. And, and, and the point is, and he's, he's going to make the point as well, if you don't give the body the opportunity to wrestle and defeat the virus, then the virus comes back. The immune system response is so robust that the invading germ is eradicated before symptomatic disease can develop. Now, that robust immune response also prevents transmission. If a germ can't secure its hold on your body, your body no longer serves as a vector to send it forward to the next potential host. This is true even if the next person is not yet immune. When enough of us represent such dead ends for viral transmission, spread through the population is blunted and eventually terminated. That's called herd immunity. A lot of people weren't even talking about this article until I pulled it out and did it. And it's crucial. What we know so far about the coronavirus makes it a unique case for the potential application of herd immunity, a strategy viewed as a desirable side effect, and he names a few countries. And he points out some data from some of the other countries. He says, uh, initially you have a higher death rate, but an almost identical distribution. The higher death rate in places like China may be real, but it may be a result of less widespread testing. South Korea promptly and uniquely started testing the apparently healthy population at large, finding the mild and asymptomatic cases other countries are overlooking, including ours. Because Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci have not suggested that we test the population. And he goes on, the clustering of complications and death from the virus among the elderly and chronically ill, but not children, with some anomalies, of course, suggests that we could achieve the crucial goals of social distancing that is saving lives and not overwhelming our medical system by preferentially protecting the medically frail and those over age 60, and particularly those over age 70 and 80, from exposure. And he goes on in this brilliant piece. Again, we will put it up. In the radio archives, right after the program, it'll be at marklevinshow.com. Now, I am talking about this again because it's from this, from this, that you can make decisions about economic policy that do not involve a national quarantine and shutting down so many of our businesses. And this is what I want to address next. Focus on the vulnerable population. Even focus on the vulnerable hot areas now. But do not have a national quarantine and do not shut down so many businesses. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. The only show with a warning label, The Liberals. The Mark Levin Show. Call him now at 
All right. You know, it's shocking that your home can be stolen this easily. Deborah learned that brutal lesson when thieves found the title to her home online. Then they forged the document to appear she sold her home, but she hadn't. Then they borrowed thousands using her home's equity. Man, Deborah, she didn't know she was a victim until foreclosure notices arrived and an eviction notice. This time you're more vulnerable than ever with all the people on the internet, desperate people looking for anything. And she spent a fortune trying to get her home back. The crime is home title fraud, and the FBI calls it one of the fastest growing crimes. Now, my advice for avoiding a possible nightmare is to follow my lead and protect your home with home title lock. And no, neither your homeowner's insurance nor bank protects you. For pennies a day, home title lock does. Now, first things first, find out if you're already a victim of home title fraud. Register your home at HomeTitleLock.com and enter Mark for one month of free protection. That's HomeTitleLock, enter Mark for free protection. Check that, HomeTitleLock.com, HomeTitleLock.com, enter Mark for one month of free protection. It's a wonderful service. I have a very close friend. This almost happened to them. I told you that. So it happens, and it happens more frequently than you might think. So I move rationally and logically from one to the next, which is why the left-wing kook media can't keep up with me and really have no interest. In fact, they would just rather cherry-pick a sentence here and there. We went from the professor at Stanford to the professor from Yale. Now I want to go to a dear friend of mine, Larry O'Connor, who is a great radio host and a great writer, and what he just wrote at Town Hall today. Katz is saying we need to target our resources. The Stanford professor says exactly the same thing. And they say this, in fact, will protect this country more broadly and more vigorously in the future. And his title of his piece is Trump is Right. Economic shutdown will result in deadly health crisis, scientists say. On March 24th, President Trump expressed an intense desire to begin the process of loosening restrictions in some portions of our country so that the American economy can slowly begin to emerge from the government-imposed shutdown of most commerce. The president said, we cannot let the cure be worse than the problem itself. That's what he tweeted. At the end of the 15-day period, we will make a decision as to which way we want to go. Later that day in his daily briefing, expanded on the point. He said... We're going to be taking care and watching very closely our senior citizens, especially those with a problem or an illness. We're going to be watching them very, very closely. We can do that and have an open economy and have an open country. So the president is actually reflecting the thinking of two experts, one from Yale, one from Stanford. We have to do that because that causes other problems, the president concluded. Maybe the economic shutdown causes much bigger problems than the problem we're talking about now. And man, did he come under a full-fledged attack. Because apparently the Democrat Party, the media, and some of these scientists are for ideological or, or reasons that are incomprehensible, are vested in a destroyed or destroying economy or destroying the economy 
And as Larry O'Connor says, he's absolutely right. So naturally, critics on the left and in the media immediately attack the president for ignoring the scientists, quote-unquote, for the sake of getting the economy out of a coma. We're not going to accept the premise that human life is disposable, and we're not going to put a dollar figure on human life, lectured New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who did put a dollar figure on human life, by the way, when he bought solar panels instead of ventilators. Trump will kill people to protect his re-election chances, claimed left-wing rag Vox. Trump thinks he knows better than the doctors, claimed the New York Slimes. But is it really ignoring science to say that an economic shutdown causes other problems much bigger? Bigger problems than the problems associated with the virus? And I might add, it's not ignoring the science. It's accepting the science of some very notable scientific and medical experts, as a matter of fact. Actually, it's a scientific fact, as O'Connor says, that a drastic collapse of the economy has enormous health ramifications. The economic despair Americans are now feeling is quite literally a matter of life and death. According to an exhaustive study and analysis from Lancet, see that? There's more than just two doctors. The 2008 economic shutdown had devastating health implications. The London Telegraph wrote about the study in 2016, quote, from our analysis, we estimate that the economic crisis was associated with over 260,000 excess cancer deaths in the OECD. That's 34-member Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Why? Because of the allocation of resources, ladies and gentlemen, that's why. 260,000 excess cancer deaths between 2008 and 2010, says the study. The Imperial College of London. This suggests that there could have been well over 500,000 excess cancer deaths worldwide during this time, they say. The report also found that every 1% increase in unemployment was associated with a 0.3% additional cancer death per 100,000 people. It makes sense. When people aren't working, their priorities are shifted due to the stress associated with needing to scramble to put food on the table and keep a roof over one's family's head, one might neglect or put off a checkup for another day, and that allows disease to get unchecked. And as I say, it also has an effect on your health care resources. But that's quite right. In 2014, Forbes focused on the suicide rates associated with the 2008 financial crisis. Quote, researchers from the University of Oxford compared suicide data from before 2007 with the years of the crisis and found more than 10,000 economic suicides associated with the recession across the U.S., Canada, and Europe. The study's lead author, Aaron Reeves, said there has been a substantial rise in suicides during the recession, considerably more than we would have expected based on previous trends. Now, this is science. Why should the scientific analysis of doctors solely focusing on the spread of the coronavirus carry more weight than the very real scientific analysis of the deadly health ramifications of shutting down our economy? Does the totality of the data make the argument for a balanced approach to this crisis? Yes, it does. There's also another tangible calamity associated with the draconian economic destruction imposed on our country. He's a very uh, generous fellow, Larry, he says, Mark Levin touched on this last night on Fox. And so let's touch on this, Mr. Producer. Let's go to cut one. Now, at the beginning of cut one, it's a totally different issue, but we get into it as we go on. 
on the Hannity last night. Cut one, go. Well, you know, with respect to the Democrats investigating the coronavirus, that would be like Jack the Ripper investigating the failures of the London police force. Uh, the fact is that Adam Schiff, who's chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, was running an impeachment coup for months. He should have been on top of the China matter. He should have been on top of the virus matter. And so I want to know what Adam Schiff knew and when he knew it and when he started to hold hearings. This guy's a disgrace. He's a reprobate. And he should stop giving aid and comfort to the enemy. First it was Russia. Now it's China. But I want to move to another topic here, and that's our economy. And I'm hoping people in Washington are listening. You cannot deficit spend your way into prosperity. If you could, Venezuela would be the richest nation on the face of the earth. And the media and the Democrats and some of his advisors, I fear, are boxing the president in. The president a few weeks ago, I thought it a very good idea. Let's look if there's areas of the economy we can open up. And I'm going to tell him, I think there is. You need to ask these businesses if they can adjust to this virus. I'll give you a perfect example. We have food, we have heat, we have clean water. Who do you think's giving that to us? Other citizens. Electricity, gasoline for our cars. We have truckers, we have a mail service, we have UPS, FedEx, grocery stores, fast food drive throughs all open, all functioning. We get soap and diapers and toilet paper, prescription drugs. 7-Elevens are open. We have doctors, nurses, cops, firefighters, more going into these, these uh, hot zones uh, despite the fact uh, that they're exposed. I'm not saying drop all the conditions. I'm saying let's get a little smarter about this. We don't ask these businesses and industries, and by the way, the president hasn't shut a single one of them. It's the governors and the mayors. We don't ask these businesses, can you adjust to this virus? Are there things you can do? I'll give you a perfect example. I was at my local supermarket the other day. The people are filling those grocery shelves. They're working harder than ever before. They're hiring people. They have the protective gloves. They have the masks on. They are so uh, smart, they, the companies, they built these plastic shields at the cashier, the register. I go to the post office, same thing. There are things that people and businesses can do in some of these areas where they adhere to the requirements, where people are safe, but they still work. They still work. So we have parts of the economy that are working, that are more than 10 people. When I go to the supermarket, there may be 50, 60, 70 people there. Parts of the economy that are working, and parts of the economy that have been shut down because somebody has deigned it's essential or not essential. Small restaurant. There's no reason a small restaurant can't be asked, how would you adjust to this? Maybe they say, you know, we'll take a few people, separate them out. There's certain things we can do. The American people and the American entrepreneur, and by the way, that includes small companies, not just GM and 3M. They are innovative. They're not asked, what can you do to stay open, but to ensure that there are health care measures that are taken. Uh, we don't do that. And who's looking into this? Is there a single governor? No. So the president raises this as a possibility a few weeks ago. And what happens? They cream them. They say, you're going to pick or the governor Cuomo. You're going to pick a, a, a human life or a dollar bill. Of course, we're going to pick a dollar bill. Governor, if this economy tanks, there are no hospitals. There's no ventilators, there's no vaccines, there's no doctors, nobody's working. Now, this next round of spending is a disaster. You can't push this kind of money into an economy and then say that we're going to put people to work when you're telling people not to work. That is the federal budget, $4.7 trillion. That is what they just spent last week, $2.2 trillion. 
That is what the Fed can loan, $4.5 trillion, and basically they've nationalized the private capital market. Now, they want to spend another $2 trillion. Believe me, with the Democrats, it's going to get worse than that. What's a trillion dollars? A trillion dollars. Does anybody know? Right now, that's $13.4 trillion. I have to put it in writing. It's so big. That's 11 zeros. Okay, $13.4 trillion. What is a trillion dollars? One trillion dollars is a million millions. One trillion dollars is a thousand billions. Washington, stop. You're going to destroy the economy. What's left of it? You're going right, to create now. massive... Now, let's take the next step. Step number four. From where we began the program today. The Democrats are not just lurking, they are plotting and scheming. They are plotting and scheming. They want to set up a select committee to investigate how the administration has handled the coronavirus. Here we are in the middle of this pandemic. And this is their contribution. America, these people deserve to be punished by you. They give aid and comfort to our enemies. They're giving aid and comfort right now to a virus. They contribute nothing. They want to nationalize businesses. They want to nationalize the issue of quarantines. They want to massively spend, deficit spend, anything beyond anything we've ever seen in our lives. They want to change our voting system. They want to fund abortion on demand. They've got their plans. These are evil, evil people. And when we come back, and when we come back, We're not only fighting a virus, we're fighting for your liberty. We're fighting for your country, your constitution, and your way of life. And when this is over, I don't know if we're going to win. Because the country's already changing before your eyes. And I don't need two doctors or any doctor to be telling me what the future of this country is going to look like. They're experts in their field. They've been wrong many times in the last few months. They're to give advice, not run the country. But I want you to hear what Clyburn and Newsom and some of these others have said and what they're up to and what they plan. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Homeowners are leaving a ton of money on the table because they're not refinancing to today's low rates. Make sure this isn't you. It's as easy as a 10-minute call to my friends at American Financing. You can take advantage of a free, no-obligation mortgage review. There's no pressure, no upfront or hidden fees. It's a no-brainer. These are wonderful people, family-owned business, and they're going to do very well by you. It's a quick, easy way to see if you can add hundreds, maybe even $1,000 back to your monthly budget. All without starting your term over. So if you have 27 years or 24 years left, you can choose those terms. You don't have to give them up. There's no going back to a 30-year loan. Because you shouldn't pay interest for years you don't need. And you know what else? You may even be able to postpone two mortgage payments. And that would be a perfect time to do it, I suppose. Creating even greater upfront savings. So don't put a refinance off any longer. 
Rates won't stay this low forever, that's for sure. Now with all this pumping of liquid money into the system, that is, printing money, call 888-900-1828. That's 888-900-1828. 888-900-1828. And you can go to AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Well, let's go ahead and get started. How much time do I have, Mr. Producer? Two minutes. Jim Clyburn today, ladies and gentlemen. Cut 13. Go. I find it kind of interesting that one of my colleagues says he had a problem with me because I'm a restructured government person. Well, if anybody can look at uh, what is happening with our children being out of school now, and the only ones that are able to get educated are those who have the Internet at home, and they can go online for their educations, but the other kids in the classroom who are not connected uh, cannot continue to get educated. If that doesn't cry out for restructuring uh, the way we do education and the way we do broadband deployment in this state, uh, in this country, then something is wrong. The same thing with telemedicine. We got to have telehealth going forward for these kinds of uh, issues, and to do it, we got to restructure the way we deliver health care in this country. That's what we were doing with Medicare and Medicaid. That's what we were doing with the Affordable Care Act, trying to restructure. Wow, wow, wow! Affordable Care Act. So why didn't you have telemedicine in the Affordable Care Act? You didn't. And as for the Internet, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how much any more programs they have, how much more money they can spend. They've been talking about this for a half a decade or a full decade. Money has been applied for this purpose. States exist. Localities exist. School systems exist. You know, almost every home in this country has one color television. Most have two. Let's get the facts. How many are not hooked up to the Internet? I want to know. How many don't have Wi-Fi? Everybody walking around seems to have an iPhone. What are we talking about? Seriously. But this is where they are. We have a virus. And they want to investigate the president. And then they want to push their agenda. And when we come back, you're going to hear Governor Gavin Newsom, who's destroying his own state, says this is an opportunity to remake society into a progressive vision. This is where they're all coming from, folks. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I want to remind you, this Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific and all times in between and around. 
another brand new Life, Liberty, and Levin on the Fox News channel. I just continue to do what I have to do to get the message out with two tremendous guests, neither one of whom is a doctor. Senator Tom Cotton, I want to have a strong talk with him about China and about what Congress is doing, the economy and these budgets. And Jack Keane, what our military is doing to help. Is it also prepared to defend us against enemies abroad and uh, what we're going to do about China, since China is clearly the enemy now. And by the way, in the South China Sea, China sunk an Indonesian fishing boat in international waters. China threatened a Vietnamese ship in international waters. And China is threatening the United States Navy in the South China Sea, which all started under Obama. They started building these fake islands. They have militarized these islands. They've built up their navy. Jack Keane explains to me uh, that they are now spending more, perhaps, on military than we are. This is a serious, serious problem, and you can see how much they, they care about human life. Not at all. That bastard regime is responsible for everything we're going through. And as I said the other day, they've done more damage to this country than the Soviet Union did. More damage to this country than the Soviet Union did. And uh, we, there's an expert, the Daily Caller has an exclusive, the, cor- the coronavirus expert says virus could have in fact leaked from the Wuhan lab. You know, Tom Cotton's been talking about this on my radio show and elsewhere. And anyone who raised this, including me, you're dismissed as a kook. You're just not allowed to pursue the facts and report them to the American people, which is really what journalists are supposed to do. Richard Ebright, a molecular biologist who's been quoted as a a coronavirus expert by the Washington Post and MSNBC, said uh, yesterday that it is indeed possible that the virus leaked from a Wuhan lab, and I think it did. Why? Because of the conduct of the Chinese. They're killing people, doctors, citizen journalists. Uh, they, they have slammed down the Internet like never before. Uh, they threw out American reporters such as they are. And they did not allow our experts, CDC and otherwise, to go into that area in China. Because they didn't want us to find out what took place. Xi and Glee. China's leading virologist on bat-borne viruses said in March that she lost sleep worrying that the virus could have leaked from her lab in Wuhan after she first learned of the virus in December. She now tells those who share the concerns she once had to shut their stinking mouths. So a molecular biologist is saying, uh, yeah, it could have happened. That is Richard Ebert professor of chemical biology at Rutgers University. And he said to the Daily Caller that there is a real possibility. When asked specifically if he believes the virus could have leaked from Xi's lab in Wuhan, he said yes. A denial is not a refutation, he said, especially not a denial based on nature punishing the human race for keeping uncivilized living habits. And while Xi now tells those who question whether her lab could be connected to the release of the coronavirus to shut their stinking mouths, she previously said she lost sleep, 
over the issue. Now, she, known by her colleagues as the Batwoman because of the 16 years she spent hunting for viruses in bat caves, told Scientific American in March that she frantically searched for any evidence that her laboratory's records were mishandled upon learning of the virus's outbreak in Wuhan in late December. Could they have come from our lab, she recalled thinking. She said, I I had never expected this kind of thing to happen in Wuhan in central China. She said she breathed a sigh of relief when results came back showing that the the sequences of the coronavirus did not match the virus she and her team had sampled from bat caves. But two Chinese researchers noted in separate papers in February that the horseshoe bats that are known to carry the nearly identical viral strain live 600 miles away from Wuhan. The researchers also cited testimonies from nearly 60 people who lived or visited Wuhan, saying that the bat was never a food source in the city, and no bat was traded in the market. In other words, they brought the bats into this lab in Wuhan to study them. The paper was removed from research gate on February 14 or 15, according to Internet Archives. The paper's lead researcher, Patojija, didn't return the, the Daily Caller's emails on Thursday seeking comment. And now you know why the, the genocidal, vicious enemy, the communist regime in China, didn't want anybody to go there. All right, back to Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom sees this as an opportunity, the way Clyburn does, the way Pelosi does, the way all the Democrats do, and the way the media do, to finally push this nation over the cliff into hardcore socialism and centralism. And the Republicans are actually helping them with these massive budgets. Here's Newsom yesterday. Cut 14, go. I'm wondering if you see the potential as some others in your party do, for a new progressive era, if you want to call it that, in um, national politics and policy, and whether there's the opportunity for additionally progressive steps, um, such as the ones that I listed on the national and state level, uh, going forward, you know, because of this crisis. Absolutely, we see this as an opportunity to reshape uh, the way we do business and how we govern. And that shouldn't put shivers up the spines of, you know, one party or the other. I think it's an opportunity anew for both parties to come together and meet this moment and really start to think more systemically, not situationally, not just about getting out of this moment, but more sustainably and systemically what an to idiot. consider where we can go together this historic moment if we meet it at a national level and a state and subnational level. So answer is yes. Yes, the answer is yes, ladies and gentlemen. This perfect. This demonstrates progressivism fails. They want us all to live in little hovels, one on top of the other. And yet it's the density of the population that causes a virus like this to spread so aggressively. They want us all to use public transportation. But if you use public transportation, you can't stand six feet from each other. And move people from job to job and place to place. In fact, the people who are doing the best are the ones who live furthest from the cities. And have acres and acres and acres of land. And trucks and automobiles. Imagine if we all lived in a place like New York City. What would be going on now? It's not a put down in New York. I'm talking about the the density of the population. This is the problem. Open borders. 
Does anyone think a progressive would have shut down travel to and from China the way the president did? Of course not. They believe in open borders. If they had their way, there'd be no ICE, there'd be no border patrol. This, this would be a horrific disaster beyond even the imagination today. So if anything, this shows the failure of progressivism. Give me another example. The governor of New York is a, an aggressive, radical progressive. He didn't order enough uh, ventilators when he could have ordered more. Wouldn't have been perfect, but would have been better. Why? Because he was focused on the progressive agenda. Solar panels. Why not more beds? He's focused on the progressive agenda. Abortion and birth. This is the truth. Redistributing wealth, identity politics, abortion, abortion, abortion. And so uh, as a consequence, uh, they're not prepared. They're not better prepared. And this is where progressivism takes us. Look at our health care system. The only reason we're getting more ventilators and all the rest, despite Peter Navarro and the rest with the Defense Production Act, is because of the private sector. Because we actually have companies that can do these things. You know, we have what's called pharmaceutical companies, which we're supposed to hate. We're supposed to hate GM and the other companies, too. Progressives hate these companies. They want 50, 60, 70 percent of their income. So they can do what? You know, solar panels. So Gavin Newsom is an idiot. Uh, He has shut down his entire state. Uh, Dr. Burks is very excited about that, saying the kind of the curve is flattened out there as a result of shutting down the economy and, uh, and destroying California. I don't even see them as necessarily connected, to be honest with you. I really don't. They make these assertions. I, I'm just... Anyway, that's just me. Obviously, I'm in a, in a minority. Now, after the break, I want to get to something that's been waiting. And that is this FBI scandal. The Inspector General put out information a few days ago that's got no attention whatsoever because of the virus. And also, there's additional information that the late, great Robert Mueller... Oh, he's still alive? Uh, Robert Mueller hid evidence, according to Matt Margolis... And he's right, exonerating Don Jr. over the infamous Trump Tower meeting. I mean, exonerating him beyond his exoneration. So you have all kinds of corrupt activity taking place, which of course means we need more progressivism. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. 
That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. I'm, uh... I should be very pleased about this. Maybe I will be. We have millions and millions of listeners. This program has more listeners than any cable news show has viewers. So it's fairly significant. In any given week, tens and tens of millions of listeners. On AM and FM, on satellite, on the podcast, on the Mark Levin app, the iHeartRadio app, streaming, on all these devices and so forth. And you now have people who were never concerned about the economy today and tonight talking about the economy. Why? Because of my appearance on Hannity last night. Why? Because of my persistence and insistence that this is a key issue behind this microphone for a month. A month. Maybe more. The same thing with the models. I was the first to challenge the models. I was looking at other scholarship, reading what these other experts were saying. And, you know, it takes some brass to do it because you know you're going to be attacked, which, of course, I was and am. The models. And so now others are talking about the models. On radio and TV. And this is a good thing. So I should be pleased about that, I think. All right, let's move on. There's a great piece by Eli Lake on the issue I'm about to discuss. There's a great piece by David Harsani. Another great writer, and by others. But let me let me just hit, hit Harsani's piece. I linked to uh, to Eli's piece earlier in the day. When ninety six percent of spy warrants reviewed contain serious errors or omissions, that's whole scale fraud, not a few little slip ups. What's he talking about? Consider this scenario: writes a federal lawyer is filling out applications requesting FISA warrants to spy on American citizens who work for a major presidential campaign to determine whether the campaign staffers are collaborating with a foreign power to steal the presidency of the United States. They must know that such a conspiracy, should it be exposed, would be the most explosive in the history of the nation, towering over the piddling criminality of Watergate or the Teapot Dome scandal. And any genuine effort to ferret out criminality and sedition within one of the nation's major parties, perhaps going as high as the future president himself, would be supported by unimpeachable underlying evidence and undertaken with abundant care and meticulous oversight. So what are the chances that a good-faith investigation would botch nearly every request to spy on the campaign when the FISA court is already signing off on over 96% of applications? What are the chances that the FISA applications of a good-faith investigation would be riddled with errors and rely on, quote, misleading and inaccurate, unquote, information based on a a fabulous document paid for by the opposing political party? Of course, he's talking about what was done to President Trump. You would think that this kind of potential abuse by the Justice Department would pique the interest of mainstream journalists. No such luck. In In December, Inspector General... Michael Horowitz of the Department of Justice found that the FBI had included, quote, at least 17 significant errors or omissions 
in the Carter Page FISA applications and many errors in the Woods procedures, unquote, during its crossfire hurricane investigation. A new Inspector General report looked at another 29 applications. 29. The FBI filed to get permission to spy on, quote, U.S. persons. This could include Greek card holders who are non-citizens. The FBI couldn't even find Woods procedure files, which contain supporting documentation for factual assertions contained in the FISA applications as required by FBI policy for four of the applications. While every single one of the other 25 that auditors examined had apparent errors or inadequately supported facts. They looked at 27, and then they were all corrupt. That is 29 of them. And at least 17 were corrupt. Sorry. In addition to the 29 applications audited, the Inspector General looked at the FBI's own application oversight mechanism relating to 42 FISA applications. Put it this way. The new IG report found a total of 390 problems in 39 of the 42 applications that, including unverified, inaccurate, inadequately supported facts, as well as typographical errors, and it found another 20 issues per application in the new audit. So if you're keeping score at home, only three of the 75 FISA applications, 4%, used to spy in the investigation, starting in October 2014, were not problematic. It's even worse than it looks because Horowitz didn't scrutinize the raw evidence case files, which, for all we know, is teeming with mitigating evidence. And fa- All right, here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. The Federal Bureau of Investigation... Under Comey, and before Comey, I want to remind you, it was Robert Mueller. The Federal Bureau of Investigation under Mueller and under Comey. In too many instances involving Foreign Intelligence for Surveillance Act was a rogue operation. Was a rogue operation. That would include under Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch. This is shocking. In the Mueller report, as reported by PJ Media, despite the fact the Mueller report proved there was no collusion between Donald Trump and the Russians and cleared Donald Trump Jr. of anything and everything, they still withheld even more exonerating evidence about that meeting with Donald Trump Jr. The Mueller report did. I- I'm speechless. It's it- It's stunning. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. 
That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Mark Levin, speaking to the four out of five Americans who are literate at 877-381-3811. You know, it's funny, chloroquine. You know, I hate to keep saying, this is the first show to talk about chloroquine, wasn't it, Mr. Producer? I'm researching stuff day and night. Then hosts pick it up. Pressing it, pressing it, bringing on doctors, pressing it, pressing it, pressing it. This chloroquine was an off-the-shelf, and is an off-the-shelf drug, uh, in combination with antibiotics is very effective with a large number of people. And I saw this. I saw how it was being written about overseas, and I brought it to your attention. And now the FDA has approved it as an emergency treatment. And it could be the game changer. And yet Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks fought it in their own way. The media fought it, believe it or not. Well, he's not listening to the science, Trump. Of course he is. That's all he's been doing is listening to the science. Right? The leftists are the ones who actually don't believe in science. They're ideologues. Now, folks, another recommendation on a book. Those few of you who haven't acquired your copy of Unfreedom of the Press, I am not hawking this book. This book was out almost a year ago. But people keep writing me about it. People keep using it to write their columns and so forth without attribution. Now's the perfect time. If you have your copy to read it, you can't get to a library these days. You can go to Amazon and acquire a copy. Now is the perfect time to read this book. You want to talk about prescient. No brag, just fact. It's like when I talk about the economy when nobody's talking about it. Or I question these models when nobody's questioning it. Or I bring up this chloroquine before anybody brings it up. And on and on and on. This book, may I say, if I don't say it, nobody else will. But Sean's very good at talking about it. Sean Hannity's a good friend. Um, this book is the definitive book on the Democrat Party, progressive, social activism, modern hate Trump media. It is the definitive book. It's got history. It's got enormous number of facts and, and scholarship. And I hope you'll take a look at it. Unfreedom of the press. It's still in hard copy. It'll be in paper copy soon. My buddy Brian at Right Scoop alerted me to an article just on his site, another great site, in the Washington Examiner that broke this afternoon. Remember John Dorm, the U.S. attorney in Connecticut? By the way, as Mr. Callscreener pointed out, Mr. Producer, too, they whisper in my ear now and then, but they're more than six feet away. They're, what, 200 miles away? Uh, they uh, mentioned to me that it's good luck for the Obama administration. It's good luck for Loretta Lynch and Comey and Mueller. It's good luck for them that the corruption, the abuse of civil liberties, the violations of law came out during the coronavirus because almost no one's paying attention to it because civil liberties apparently don't matter anymore. You shall stay in your house. You will wear a mask when you leave your house. We expect you to use gloves. 
I don't have any gloves. I can't get it. Then use condoms. Use whatever you have to use and make sure you have your papers. Otherwise, we shall arrest you or fine you. What? Here it is. Washington Examiner. John Dorm investigation intensifies focus on John Brennan. We haven't heard from John Brennan lately. I suppose he's wetting his depends right about now. U.S. Attorney John Dorm's review of the Russia investigation is putting increasing scrutiny on former CIA Director John Brennan. What a louse that. Searching for any undue influence he may have had during the 2017's intelligence community assessment of Russian interference. Dorham, selected by Attorney General William Barr last year to lead this inquiry, drove to Washington, D.C. in March, listen to this, to ensure the investigation stayed on track during the coronavirus outbreak. The top Connecticut federal prosecutor is looking into highly sensitive issues, including whether Brennan took politicized actions to pressure the rest of the intelligence community to match his conclusions about Russian President Vladimir Putin's motivations, according to sources cited by the Wall Street Journal. Officials said Dorham has been investigating CIA officials this year, zeroing in on those at the National Intelligence Council, a center within the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, which oversaw the collaboration between the CIA, FBI, and National Security Agency in putting together the 2017 assessment and looking at how the work product was finalized. Uh, Why didn't the House Intelligence Committee look into this? Oh, because Adam Schiff was covering up for the Democrats. Adam Schiff. 2017 assessment concluded with high confidence that Putin ordered an influence campaign in 2016 and Russia worked to undermine public faith in U.S. democracy, uh, denigrate former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and harm her electability and potential presidency, and developed a clear preference for Trump. The NSA diverged on one aspect, expressing only moderate confidence that Putin actively tried to help Trump win and Clinton lose. So Durham saying, uh, let's look into this. Now you know why Brennan was all over TV, covering up for himself. I wouldn't call it a discrepancy. I'd call it an honest difference of opinion between three different organizations. Former NSA Chief Mike Rogers told the Senate in 2017 didn't have the same level of sourcing and the same level of multiple sources. Now, Dorm has interviewed Rogers and is also reportedly reviewing Brennan's handling of a secret source said to be close to the Kremlin. Prosecutor wants to know what role that person's information played in the assessment. Dorm is also scrutinizing Brennan in relation to British ex-spy Christopher Steele's dossier. In particular, the prosecutor is looking for answers on whether it was used in 2017 assessment, why former FBI Director Comey and former Deputy Director McCabe insisted upon it being part of the assessment, how allegations from the dossier ended up in the assessment's appendix, and whether Brennan misled about the dossier's use. Ladies and gentlemen, can you imagine the FBI and the CIA plotting to take out candidate Trump, then plotting to take out President Trump? This is already the greatest scandal in American history. And they're calling the Democrats for a select committee to investigate the president's handling or the executive branch's handling of the coronavirus. We have coup efforts going on. 
We have an FBI and a CIA, the leadership levels at least. But even deeper than that, it turns out, trying to change the outcome of an election? And the media could give a crap other than a handful of news organizations who tend to be conservative? Wolf Blitzer, Jake Tapper, Andrea Mitchell, Brian Williams. This is self-censorship. Brennan. We always knew there's something wrong with Brennan. In his TV appearances. The director of the CIA. The director of the FBI. The deputy director of the FBI. Is he dormant? Is a criminal investigator. He can issue subpoenas the way the, independent, uh, the uh, inspector general could not. I don't know where this is going to go. But for him to drive from Connecticut to Washington, D.C. in March to make sure this investigation is continuing, that's pretty damn good and aggressive. Absolutely shocking. And this needs to be done before the general election so the American people know what they're dealing with. So the American people know what they're dealing with. Incredible, if you ask me. Now, one more time, we'll round on this hydroxychloroquine. One more round, since I was the one to bring it up. Oh, by the way, I'm not an expert. I saw it in a foreign publication. I saw it in a foreign publication. This radio station not only has millions and millions of listeners, it has many listeners throughout the media, on cable TV, network TV, on radio, people who listen to orange juice cans, I don't know. Valerie Richardson, an excellent report, an international poll of more than 6,000 doctors released yesterday found the anti-malaria drug hydroxychloroquine was the most highly rated treatment for the novel coronavirus. So the president is owed an apology by the Democrat Party, left-wing kook media, because he was following the science. And he determined that we ought to push this out, and he got the FDA to push this out. No other president would do this. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at AMAC.us. 
That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. You know, we have so many great callers. Please call back on Monday, folks. Walter in Washington, a CPA, and the great WMEL death rate is calculated inaccurately, which it has been for a lot. Then in New Orleans, first they said flat curve stops hospital overload, which obviously it hasn't. We have Lou in Ocala, Florida, XM, uh, excuse me, WSKY, POTUS getting bad advice. We have uh, Mike, we've got... uh, who is an ER doctor, says we need herd immunity, and he's absolutely right. John, Topeka, Kansas. Constitution feels like we're losing rights. We are, John. Charlie, Queens, New York, the great WABC. Go. Hi, Mark. This is Charlie. I just got out of the hospital last night with the COVID-19. I was in the hospital last Thursday, Tuesday. They tested me Wednesday night at 10 o'clock. They said I tested positive. Within an hour, I was on the Trump treatment. At, uh, hey. I tried... Chloroquine and the Cithromax. So they put you on the Trump treatment, and I love it. That's what we're going to call it. They put you on the Trump cure, and you feel 100%? I feel great, dude. But about two or three days, I started feeling like 100% better. And what did, what did you feel like when you were in the hospital? I was, I was sick as a dog at home. I felt all achy. I was worn out, tired, and then I started getting shortness of breath. I remember lying on my couch. I'm sick as a dog, and Trump's on the press conference, and he says he's taught in his treatment, and they start attacking him. And I'm so dumb, so lethargic, I fall asleep. And I wake up, I wake up, and then there's Chuck Todd on there, still attacking Trump for pulling in this treatment. Un- unbelievable. This treatment- unbelievable. I-, I am so proud of how the president has stood up. You don't have to agree with every decision economically, but he has stood up and he loves this country and he's doing what he thinks is right in a, in a very, very difficult situation with a party that's out to destroy him and a media that's out to destroy him. Every Friday for you, you great Americans.
week is officially over. The weekend begins now. Look, watch Life, Liberty, and Levin, 8 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday. I think it's going to give you some great relief, as a matter of fact. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, all you wonderful people. In and out of government, civilians, military alike, thank you so much for everything you're doing. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffey. Good night, Pepsi, Smokey, Zelda, Gigi. Mom, Dad, Leo, God bless you all. Take care of yourselves. I'll see you Monday. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. 